Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast for the foreign policy and global development communities and anyone who wants a deeper understanding of what is driving events in the world today. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. Enjoy the show. There has been a spate of coups in Africa over the last 18 months. Most of these coups have taken place in West Africa, but not all. This includes Burkina Faso, Guinea, Chad, Sudan, and two coups in Mali. And this is not to mention some attempted coups, most recently in Guinea-Bissau. On the line with me to discuss why there have been so many coups recently, and whether or not this is a trend, is Solomon Durso. He is the founder of Amani Africa, an Addis Ababa-based think tank with a focus on the African Union and African Union affairs. We kick off discussing whether or not there is a contagion of coups in Africa in general and West Africa in particular. We then have an in-depth conversation about the similarities between many of these recent coups and what more regional bodies like the African Union and the Economic Community of West African States can do to prevent or deter the military overthrow of civilian rule. And today's episode was recorded live on Twitter, and it is produced in part through the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York through a grant to showcase and highlight African expertise on peace and security issues in Africa. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to the show. Please do be sure to subscribe to the full feed of the podcast to access our entire archive of conversations stretching back to like 2013. I think you'll find many of them useful. All right, now here is my conversation with Solomon Durso, founder of Amani Africa. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. In order to speak of a trend, I think it's important to uh, have a baseline from which you start. Uh, and if you look at the trend in Africa, particularly since the turn of the century with the establishment of the African Union, uh, we have witnessed a marked decline in the pace of occurrence of coups in Africa. Um, you know, within a year, you may have a maximum of two successful coups happening in the course of this period. And there are a number of years during which coups didn't happen at all. Um, now, in a matter of about nine months, we have witnessed the occurrence of at least four successful coups in less than a year. And this is the single um, you know, highest number of incidents of coups. Uh, this is without counting, of course, um, incidents of uh, attempted coups. 
And you're saying it, the advent of the African Union in, what is it, 2002? In the years following that, up until like very recently, you've seen a market decline in the number of coups and sort of like a, a democ- if not a democratic consolidation, at least an amount, a degree of political stability in, in many countries throughout Africa. Yes, that's right. Um, so a number of factors played into this. One is uh, relative consolidation of the democratization process uh, on the continent with some of the positive economic developments that have also been registered uh, in, very, in, in various parts of the continent, uh, as well as, importantly, some of the very successful normative and institutional changes that were undertaken at the level of the African Union and regional bodies like the like e- the Economic Committee of West African States, for example, where we have witnessed the adoption of anti-coup norms by these organizations uh, to which they have attached specific sanctions regime. Uh, and these contributed heavily to this decline in coups. Uh, so I saw that we have witnessed some, in some cases, um, militaries going extra mild, as we have witnessed, uh, for example, in Zimbabwe, to avoid uh, being considered as engaging in coups. Interesting. So uh, given all that, why do you think now, at least over the last several months, there have been so many coups in such a short period of time after a period of sort of relatively, you know, few coups? Yeah. Uh, so this we can approach from two perspectives. Um, the first perspective is that of um, trends or explanations that apply to all cases. I think uh, there are certain trends or, or, or explanations that apply to all cases. And um, what are some of those? The, now, let me mention some of these. Uh, one is uh, we have witnessed um, a notable Uh, regression in the democratization process on the continent. Um, This has been registered in the various uh, democracy uh, evaluating databases, whether it is Freedom House or the Mo Ibrahim Index. Um, And this has been manifested in terms of the increasing lack of um, support to government on the part of the public, um, issues relating to um, lack of faith and confidence on the part of the public uh, about elections and the outcome of elections, uh, thereby um, the legitimacy of governments have increasingly become suspect in many parts of the continent. Um, The extension of term limits by presidents who have been in power for many years uh, they are taking advantage of their incumbency in order to stay longer uh, than their constitutional welcome by tampering with uh, provisions in constitutions. As happened, for example, in Guinea. We call it interesting third, third to see also right? constitutionally dubious attempts to uh, ensconce yourself in a third term when previously the constitutionally permitted uh, two terms, and that that is certainly a trend we've seen. Exactly. Um, and, and you also have 
many of the socioeconomic fallouts from COVID uh, also adding further pressure on state-society relationship, uh, particularly in a context in which the living standard of people have gone down uh, with millions of people uh, reported to have been pushed into extreme poverty. Well, can, can I stop you there? Because that was Those... actually one of my very specific questions for you. Like the, to what extent is like the exogenous shock of COVID a factor in um, the fact that there have been so many coups? I mean, you describe a scene in many countries in which there is a deficit of legitimacy by the government. Yep. Uh, and then layered on top of this is, is COVID. So, so COVID is a factor to the to to the extent that it actually shapes the political uh, context and landscape of uh, the countries in which these coups are happening. Uh, it's not unique to these countries. It is something that is shared uh, among many other countries. But we are talking about generally the various sources of pressure in state-society relationship, which actually created the conditions that made it possible for the military basically to use their possession of the gun um, in order to direct it at the government of the day, against whom there is a lot of you know, uh, disenchantment on the part of the public. Um, and there are, of course, I think, importantly, Mark, um, what I call specific um, explanations unique to or particular to each case. Mm -hmm. If you go to Guinea, it's important to remember that uh, the extension of the term limit of the incumbent, the, the now uh, overthrown president, Conde, uh, it was hugely unpopular and highly contested, uh, forced on the public, uh, it triggered a lot of protest uh, from the public, and yet it went ahead. Uh, other institutions that are supposed to um, prevent this from happening, such as um, the judiciary or parliament, um, they do not have the independence um, and the uh, tradition of exercising control and accountability over the executive. The executive apparently have what in some parts of the continent are considered to be imperial power. Um, then you also have the election happened in 2020. Uh, and apparently he won the election. Uh, again, raving serious question about whether or not elections actually tell us a, the, a story about the health of democracy of countries. And if anything that Guinea's story tells us, elections do not tell us anything about the health of democracy of countries. And Guinea is not the only country in respect of which we are saying this. Elections have become just you know, a, a process uh, that incumbents have mastered to manipulate to their advantage. Uh, leading to the disenfranchisement of many uh, on the continent. Then if you move on to Burkina Faso, it has to do with weak state institutions that have become under pressure from ever-expanding terrorist attacks uh, from which the military themselves have become major casualties. 
and there is therefore as a result a pressure uh, emerged from that whereby the military is saying the government of the day is not providing the necessary leadership and support that is required in order for them to be in a position to fight back and added to that layer or with of course of course some additional factors such as for example um disputes over you know uh, uh the kind of support international support that the country needs to seek in order to capacitate the military uh, to fight back uh, the ever expanding uh, terrorist attack which has resulted in the geographic spread uh, and rise in frequency of attacks and also the exacerbation of the humanitarian situation with over 2 million people having been displaced um in mali you have a different context it was a combination of the military feeling that the government is failing with respect to the effort to counter attack the terrorist uh, groups in mali together with um bad electoral outcome uh, bad electoral management uh, or electoral disputes in which parliamentary election uh, was uh, resulted in a situation where the vast majority of the public felt that it was stolen by uh, the party in power uh, leading to uh, a widespread popular protest um, in the country uh, it was in the context of that wide popular protest that the military actually intervened and removed the government of course well, it repeated itself later on yeah well, and, well, and well, it, sorry go, go right ahead you can finish your thought i think the other factor is problems relating to the security sector and the relationship in between the military and the civilian authorities that that's actually exactly what i wanted to ask you next i mean each of these coups happen in their own unique context but one similarity, and I would not be the first to point this out, is that many of the coup leaders in the places you just described are relatively younger officers, uh, often with like special forces or some sort of like unique training. Um, what similarities do you see among these coup leaders, both in terms of their their individual profile and their relationship with the civilian leadership that they overthrew? So one of the things that you see is basically these are uh, officers uh, that have been trained, um, actually the, the, the three um, colonels uh, were in the same exercise, uh, joint exercise that was undertaken in Burkina Faso uh, by the U.S. military. Um, there is therefore in part what you may consider to be a neighborhood you know uh, influenced or what you may consider to be uh, a contagion of sorts happening uh, in um, other results. Uh, these are people who have joined went through the same exercise uh, have had maintained uh, links uh, and also they have been engaged also in uh, for uh, trained force uh, other special uh, forces for purpose of 
certain activities in Burkina Faso and uh, Mali, for example, uh, they were actively involved in the fight against uh, uh, the terrorist groups. So these are the kinds of uh, profiles that you see. And indeed, the training that they have received, such as, for example, from um, uh, the security uh, and, and training partnership with the U.S., for example, these are some of the patterns uh, that 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 you identify from them, and of course, what this also suggests is basically that these people exposed to certain ideals, to exposed to certain ways of um, uh, expectations uh, of their own and uh, people around them, um, going back to their base. Uh, and finding all kinds of gaps and weaknesses that doesn't meet their expectation, um, obviously uh, may look into uh, ways of taking matters into their own hands with the supposed expectation of fixing things, so to speak. Um, although it is there is no background or basis to suggest that military coups have led to uh, a better outcome uh, from the experience so far. Uh, so many of these coups, most of these coups, have occurred in West Africa among countries that are members of the economic community of West African states, uh, ECOWAS. Uh, and you know, it seems there is something of a playbook uh, that ECOWAS invokes when there is a military coup amongst their members. Can you just kind of describe uh, what that playbook is and how it has been manifested and, and used over these last few months as uh, governments that were members of ECOWAS uh, you know, they became uh, prey to coups? So, um, ECOWAS uh, has a protocol on uh, democracy and governance. Uh, and one of the important provisions of this protocol uh, is the uh, banning of unconstitutional changes of government, uh, such as, for example, military coming to power through military coup. Um, the result of that banning is basically an automatic outcome, there is an automatic requirement, which is to suspend the country where the military came to power, Snuku. Uh, it, it is automatic. It's a legal requirement. And it's not the first time, by the way, that ECOWAS deployed this tool um, in uh, West Africa. Uh, previously, as far back as, for example, in the same country, like, for example, Mali, in 2012, it used this same instrument. Uh, of uh, suspending the country from active participation in ECOWAS, thereby imposing diplomatic isolation. Um, adding to that, when measures are not taken by the de facto authorities to return to constitutional order, it adds further sanctions, as it did on Mali, for example, including closure of borders, uh, monetary uh, sanctions and so on and so forth. Uh, this is uh, a well-established way of responding to coups, not just on the part of ECOWAS, but also the African Union uh, at the continental level, uh, shared with others like perhaps most notably the Southern Africa uh, Development Community. So that is the state of the um, quote-unquote playbook 
if you like, uh, to use your term, um, for for responding to course. I think the question now is whether or not this is really working. Uh, that was my next of- question. Exactly. Yeah. Is, you know, it seems that you know, it's not an effective deterrent at this point, especially uh, among ECOWAS countries. Uh, so I guess, why is this not working? Uh, and what more could regional groups like ECOWAS or even the African Union do to dissuade uh, coups? So one factor has to do with uh, the fact that these coups um, largely target uh, targeted um, governments that are regarded by the public as uh, illegitimate, uh, as uh, failing to deliver on their mandate, uh, as not responsive and um, representative of the wish and will of the public. Uh, some of them um, accused of uh, corruption um, in a context where uh, many people uh, are struggling uh, to meet ends. So that is one factor uh, why you have, um, you know, the public not campaigning against uh, those who have seized power through military coup. All right. Um, then it's also important to note the context, the, the, the other precipitating factors, whether it has to do with the fact that uh, there are immediate pressures, such as, for example, the counterterrorism measures that need to be taken. All right. Now, it is in this context and also in a context in which, you know, those who are taking uh, power through military means are reaching a point where they are saying the consequence, the negative consequences of um, you know rejection by the AU and ECOWAS is less important than what they are able to do by taking uh, power through military coup, and it has to do with a number of factors. One. These measures by ECOWAS and the African Union are very reactive. They are basically measures taken after the fact. And there are legitimate concerns being expressed that the African Union and ECOWAS should have been proactive in facilitating measures that prevent the occurrence of coups in the first place. And these measures range from Rejecting, for example, extension of term limits by presidents, as happened in Guinea, for example, or by facilitating institutional reform measures that enhance, for example, separation of powers and checks and balances, independence of the judiciary. Um, the you know that that deals with corruption that actually limits. Uh, resources that could have gone to supporting the security establishment in their fight against terrorism. These are the range of issues, uh, including economic pressure, uh, with respect of which steps needed to be taken, uh, failing which you have these conditions. After the fact, you react. And of course, people are like, but where were you when the situation was festering. 
So to the extent that this might be a contagion of coups, uh, if not in ECOWAS, among other countries in Africa more broadly, um, is there a next country or a couple of countries that you are most concerned may be next, sort of like the next domino to, to fall, so to speak? I, I, I think it's, it's, it's difficult to, I, mean, I, I don't have a crystal ball to say that this is going to be the next country. But, you know, countries having similar features with um, Burkina Faso and Mali, uh, countries uh, that are under pressure from terrorism uh, with fragile institutions uh, and lacking public legitimacy. Um, that is the kind of characteristic that you, that you can look at. But I think it is not possible to say that these are the only context in which it happens. Transitional situations may also trigger uh, or create the context for the army to take advantage of transitional contestations into its own hands to orchestrate a coup, whether that is because of mass protest or uh, because of contestation among different political actors. But it's important to note some of the recent uh, attempts that we have witnessed actually in the course of the past, uh, the past week. One in uh, Guinea-Bissau, uh, where there was uh, a scare, uh, which actually it was called an attempted coup uh, against uh, the president in Guinea-Bissau. And over the course of this week, we also heard uh, some developments that were associated with plans for orchestrating a coup in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And you have, therefore, a situation in which um, various political uh, contestations being used either by political opponents who working in concert with the military, try to uh, take out the government of the day. Or militaries that are under pressure from terrorism or other pressures basically turn their guns on their own government out of frustration. Or militaries who would like to protect their interest, their interest, taking advantage of the resentment of the public towards government, basically take power uh, in order to shield themselves as happened in, in, in Sudan. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Solomon. That was very helpful. And uh, just a quick disclaimer that the opinions and views expressed in this conversation belong solely to those of us who expressed them. And lastly, please do reach out to me. If you have suggestions of people I should interview or topics I should cover, it's easy to contact me. You can use the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com or uh, through my Twitter profile at Mark L. Goldberg. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.